Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 31. It's a wonderful machine. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Once again... Greetings, salutations, welcome to the Person of Interest podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to Person of Interest on CBS, and we are so glad that you have joined us here for tonight's episode, this week's episode, as we discuss Season 5, Episode 12 of Person of Interest, titled .exe. More on that in a moment, but first, I'm Daryl. And I want to know how I can get a machine that will drive me around in my 1984 Toyota Celica GT. That would be a sweet ride, yeah. Yeah. And I'm Clarence the Angel, <laughs> also known as Doug. You're going to hear a lot of this, folks. <laughs> you recall the episode. Yes, we are so glad to have you as we cover the person of interest for Season 5, Episode 12, which originally aired June 14th, 2016. The penultimate, penultimate, I said it. I'm going to say it again, penultimate. of the series, <laughs> entitled Dot .exe, and we know what the dot .exe was in this case. In fact, it was on the screen, Ice-9. That was going to mm -hmm. be the, um, the virus program. That was. That's where it was. Oh, man, we got a lot to talk about. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah. Well, thanks for showing up, folks. We are produced by Golden Spiral Media at goldenspiralmedia.com slash P-O-I. All our back issues are there. If you're trying to catch up, it's great. And, uh, you know, if you go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes, you can catch up on a lot of shows. I mean, we got mm -hmm. a lot of stuff we're talking about now. Wow. So that would be fantastic. And, of course, if you go to the Facebook thing that all the kids are using, you can search for Person of Interest Podcast, and we are there. And Golden Spiral Media, and we are there. So, you know, be there or be square. So this episode we're going to talk about today, .exe, was written by Eric Mountain. That's a really cool name. A real strong name, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Greg Plagman and directed his directorial debut, which I did not know until uh -huh. I watched the uh, commentary version that they put out for this episode. Thank you, Doug, for posting that to the Facebook page because I didn't know that until you posted it. And so he mentioned in this episode that this was his director directorial debut. You can and say he, that, uh, you can say it, yeah. He, he brought up Eric to actually help him as kind of a co-director because it was his first time. So, yeah, Greg Plegman got behind the uh, director's chair on this one. He should have been there a little more often, I think. This is a great episode. Just And just listening to them talk about it, if you haven't checked out the, or weren't aware that there was a version of this episode that's available on the CBS website for free, at least to those in the U.S., you know, it seems like they don't always allow it internationally. But it is uh, commentating with... Eric and Greg, and you learn so much and you appreciate so much more the depth of detail that they put into these episodes, the stuff that got put on the cutting room floor, the research that they did, the work of the graphics team, the stunt team, the the 
the various parts of the crew. It really is quite good. So go check that out, and you'll definitely be glad you did for an episode. But you think about all that they had to cram into this episode and still make it kind of jive and flow and tell a cohesive story, and they did. It was really, really well done. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to actually see it. I just noticed it um, that the official person of interest uh, Facebook uh, page posted it. So I cross-posted it, folks, on our Facebook page. So be there if you want all these wonderful things. I got to go back and, and let me go back and watch that again. Thank you, John Locke. Yeah. Well, as far as ratings go, it was a pretty average night. Got a 1.0 rating, uh, 6.24 million viewers. It was, again, fourth place for the night, you know, so it's. It's holding its own against uh, uh, even America's Got Talent uh, was on, and it had like twice the number. But every the other uh, two uh, beyond that that uh, that beat this were just they they were in the mid to low sixes as well. So basically, uh, you might say a uh, it was it was kind of if you're looking at polls, this is the uh, margin of error, you know, because so kind of tied for second place. But uh, yeah, no, they're getting rid of it. What a hassle! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Thanks. Thanks for that. Well, okay. Well, we have just one more episode. That's what makes this week's episode the penultimate episode, meaning the the one before the last. And so in case you weren't aware of what penultimate means. And you'll hear that a lot tonight. (laughs) It's one of my favorite words because we don't get to say it very often. So yeah, we want before we get into the discussion on this week's episode, though, we did get a couple of feedbacks, a couple of short ones this week uh, that we want to share about last week's episode and so we got a quick uh, audio here that came in from scott hi daryl and doug and doug and daryl this is scott from cape cod with your latest yellow box update in your schenectady episode uh i'm just kidding i know it's schenectady you wondered if you were going to see yellow boxes around the dc team machine well if you watch the scene again at the end in front of the lincoln memorial where pierce looks at his team and says we have a new number and the three of them walk away from Reese and Fusco, you'll see a long view from the machine's point of view of the five of them, and they all have yellow boxes with the designation of assets. John's says primary asset. Um, And I'll say this. I've watched and loved many, many shows in my day, you know, from X-Files to Fringe to Firescape to Lost to Star Trek to SG-1 to Firefly and so many more. But to me, this is the best show I've ever seen. Um, I, I would actually say hands down. The writing, the acting, the continuity, the callbacks to previous seasons, the respect for the viewer's intelligence, it's just very, very great. And um, it's the, the entire series is coming out on DVD in July, and I can't wait to order the, the entire series and rewatch it again from the beginning. Um, and that's something I almost never do, but this show just demands it of me. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Scott. And he's right. You know, as I was editing our episode last week and we got to that part in our discussion where you and I were trying to remember if there were yellow boxes on Team DC, I actually paused my editing and I went over and pulled the episode up and rewatched it and found that and sent. I just I didn't post it on our Facebook page. I I probably should have, but I I sent it over to Doug and then Scott sent this in, um, I I think. I don't know what day he sent. We released it on uh, Friday morning. So anyway, thank you, Scott, for, for, for confirming that. We don't always go back and double check that, but um, definitely those guys had yellow boxes. Now, Doug, you may remember being the uh, elephant memory that you are. Um, <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> 
you and I have a little bet going on on whether or not we're going to see those guys. So the fact that they had yellow boxes, does that sway your opinion in either way on whether or not we'll see Team DC again? I mean, next week is it, right? So Yeah, no, I don't think we'll see them again. I think it was just, you know, it was opening the door and saying, look down there, folks, and uh, as we keep on moving right, uh, right by. So I do not think that uh, we're going to see them again. All right, well... After next week's episode airs, one of us will be making a trip to the local supermarket to pick up a mango for uh, consumption on next week's podcast. So, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. oh, Scott, I, one real quick thing. I love the uh, yeah. I could tell where you're from there, Matt. You know the uh, the the accent was uh, giving you away. I got to tell you about a friend of mine whose uh, parents had very heavy Boston accents, and he had a dog named Star. But uh, of course, they called him Star, just like you talked about Star Trek. Well, you know. The son, they had moved a bit, and he didn't have that Boston accent, so he couldn't, you know, he called the dog Star. The problem was the dog didn't come to Star, didn't recognize it. So he had to call the dog Star, you know, Star, sit, and then he would, but he wouldn't sit with Star. So, you know, so That's the dog hilarious. had a wow. Boston accent. There you are. Nice. Well. Okay. We have one more uh, feedback that came in here. This one came in from uh, Meredith Chandler. She said, I must have read it somewhere because I didn't figure this out myself. The number on Root's grave, the numbers on Root's grave are 050313. I believe that date coincides with the episode where the machine goes into God mode and speaks to Root for the very first time. That was the very first direct connection they have. So thank you for pointing that out for us. Yeah, I, there we saw that there had to be some... Um, obvious uh they don't put these things in there for no reason yeah mm -hmm. we were kind of dancing around it with knowing that it was that date was very very close to the date that an episode aired but it would make sense that you know because the dates aren't always jiving with the timeline of of what you know what's going on so um that would make sense that that was actually the date that she went into god mode for the first time so yeah thank you for that clarification and that's a really cool easter egg too i think mm-hmm all right, well, uh, let's talk about some other Easter eggs, otherwise known as fan ratings. Um, <laughs> I'll get it kicked off with mine, which was 10 fire suppression systems. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Just saying that, you know, gets me, gives me the dry uh, you know, gasping. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, sorry. I'm still going to Okay, I gave it. <laughs> I gave it 10 angels named Clarence, and, you know, you're going to hear that a bit this episode as well. Indeed. Zachary Chong gave it 1 million what-ifs. You, you get the impression he, he liked it? I think he might have. I don't know. He's on the fence. I don't know. <laughs> Joe Seebeck said, nine and a half lines of bad code. I like that. Spencer Adkins gave it nine bars of signal strength. And there'll be more of a uh, uh, an explanation of that later in his feedback. Uh, Brian Owen gave it two happy endings. Now, there's more details on that in his feedback as well. I don't think he gave the episode a two. I think it's kind of like your uh, the two deaths when uh, Greer, and, I'm sorry, when Root and um, Elias uh, bit at us. But yeah, okay. so. cool. Uh, Kiana Means gave it nine asphyxiated Greers. <gasps> I'm sorry. <clears throat> or um, is he? <laughs> oh, that's coming. Um, <laughs> Scott Drone Silvers gave it 9.95 million possibilities. Nice. Andrew Jeeves gave it nine Samaritan glitches. Glitches? 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 
Gurjit Manjal gave it nine cars driving by themselves. Yes, indeed. Mm. And Team Yellowbox gave it... Well, I have to give it a not rated because CBS didn't air on Dish this week. But I look forward to your recap. Oh, man. <laughs> Team Yellowbox, you, you got to go watch it before you listen to our podcast. Turn it off. Turn the podcast off. Go find it on demand or whatever means you need. <laughs> or the, uh, the commentary version, too. Yeah, it's on the CBS website. Uh, both versions It's legit. Are. So, yes. yeah, go watch that and then come. Uh, although, the, you know, you got a little bit spoiled even there in the ratings, you know, about Greer, but that's okay. Stop now. Go watch the episode. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the episode, Doug. Where do you want to start? Um, how about at the beginning? No opening, uh, you know, monologue. Um, is that your note there? No opening credits even. The only thing we got was when, when Harold got on the private plane, went all that way, right? The whole entire first segment, it said, you know, did the little glitching sound, person of interest logo created by Joe, Jonah Nolan, Jonathan Nolan, uh, or something to that effect. That was it. Boom. And gone to commercial. So that was all we got, which I don't know why they did that. If it was just because the stakes in the, in this point in the game are at the point where the, the, the title sequence seemed irrelevant <laughs> or if they were like we got because they, they talked in the commentary how they had to put so much on the cutting room floor i wonder mm-hmm. if at some point they said you know what we could get 30 seconds back if we just cut the title sequence down so i don't know but yeah there was not really a title sequence in this episode so next week like- the final episode i mean keep an eye out for that i guess yeah see how they handle that yeah now the close captioning i noticed said you know, if if it's a person talking off screen, you're not sure who it is, or they're on the phone or something like that, they'll put their name in brackets. And they said root. Mm. Um, now, I think that was just you know, if you're if you're relying on this closed captioning, you're probably needing to know that you've watched and you've seen the fact that root has died, and therefore you know this is really the machine. But it's interesting that they they called it the uh, called the machine root from that perspective. At least mm-hmm. you know, I said from the closed captioning. I don't know how much the writers or the showrunners or the network have control over what comes out in the closed captioning. I would think they have some, uh, but it was interesting that just my little, little aside there that they, uh, that they, they labeled it that way, not the machine, but mm-hmm. or root as the machine, that kind of thing. It was root. One of the interesting things in the commentary was, well, you, you remember last week we were talking about the Amy Acker panel that I went to at Fan Expo Dallas and how she mm-hmm. said that she was back on set the following week after she was killed. And you and I were like, well, that's kind of weird because she's only there as a voice. Well, this week, obviously, she was physically there. But one of the things they said, like in the, the scenes when Harold is in the Tesla, for example, Amy is there delivering lines back and forth with him. She's off camera. She's deliver she's delivering those lines. She yes, she is going in and voicing those. I mean they do a lot of overdubbing and 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 well, I was going to say this show but all shows. But she's actually on set doing those lines with him when she's the voice. And so I was like, "Oh, that's why she said she was back on set the very next week cuz she was. We just didn't get to see her, but the cast did." So that made sense. And and so I doubt that has any reason as to why they would still call that voice Root, but it is kind of nice to know that Amy's there physically. We just don't get to see her. Yeah, she hasn't bailed out too early. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. Um, this was uh, this opening was was very interesting. I mean, now we are, 
in the penultimate episode, of course, and we really can't spend a whole lot of time telling how Finch gets into Barnett's house, right. and and he just has to. Uh, we just he's there. You know, the machine did it. Whatever, and he wants uh, the the code for the Celentine virus, which he sold to the Russians. I'm 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 trying to remember now. Is is he holding that over his head to get to? Ice Nine, or is Celentine basically Ice Nine? I think maybe basically it's the same thing. That was my impression. I wasn't a hundred percent sure on the connection between Ice Nine and Barnett. Barnett had the device. I don't know if it was a hard drive or what that device was. That is a voice activated um, propellant or whatever. You know that was so. Mm-hmm. That was what was going to be needed to distribute the the virus so mm. but was that directly tied to ice nine outside of the distribution whatever i don't i don't know i wasn't really clear on that but he does seem to know barnett does seem to know that what uh harold is trying to do is take down the whole net yep. uh really uh now there have been viruses out there that have really spread incredibly fast and incredibly wide mm-hmm. and of course you know there's not one virus that will take down a Linux and a Mac and, and, an, and a Windows machine and all the other operating systems that are out there. But if you have, uh, if you pick one and, and, and make it really serious, you can certainly do a lot of damage. And uh, so he understands what's going on there. But when, and when he asks Harold who he is, Harold is uh, kind of cryptic to Barnett. We know what he's talking about when he says, I'm, I'm the man who sold the world for a dollar. You know, and that's of course with the uh, the price they decided to charge the government because I get what was the reason now? It wasn't altruism; it was just that they didn't think that uh, they. Well, I think each of them, Nathan and uh, Harold, were independently wealthy, weren't they? I can't before recall if before uh, the machine. Yeah, I think so. yeah before the machine when they sold it. Yeah, okay, so they didn't need the cash. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so we have. Um, so, I mean, that's a very interesting way of putting it. Now, all through this episode, and especially when we are looking back at uh, life from our characters' points of view without the machine, Harold is, you know, really the downer here. Uh, he has he looks at each of these outcomes as, well, they would have been better off without it or without me. And that has what he's been, that's what he has been building to up until this point, that he just thinks that the danger he's put them in, the sacrifices they've all had to make for his project, essentially, I think that's what he's seeing in it as in his mind. All those things, you know, would they would have been better off had they not gotten involved with me. And so mm-hmm. we do see, we don't see an actual, um, when he's asking about it, I don't think, I, I think it was just one of those things that kind of, we see something like that, the machine starts looking at that and then talks to a Harold about the about the outcome. And I thought this was a great way of kind of bringing Harold out of the the you know the hole he had dug him dug for himself. That he wasn't uh, he wasn't the he wasn't the bad guy he was kind of making himself out to be. That I mean, even with his good intentions, you know his 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 thought was everybody I've touched, I've you know. Corrupted or not corrupted, but you know, ruined basically because of you know all the, uh, the danger he's put them in, the the lives that have been taken. So 
yeah, I can I can see where he might be getting that, but the machine says, nah, let's look at it from another point of view. And I loved how that each of those uh, little vignettes of uh, you know, uh, it's a wonderful life type uh, looks kind of play kind of showed that you know, yes, you you touched all these people, and here's what would have happened to them without you. Yeah, it was real. I loved that too. And you're right. The the this um wonderful it's a, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Um, yeah. Seems very appropriate. Um, in the commentary, they mentioned the ghost of Christmas past, which we we kind of threw that oh. analogy in during a couple weeks ago during one of the episodes too. So, yeah, I mean, it was a neat way to take a look at these what might have been. And so we'll definitely break into those uh, before we get out of here today. That was that was great though. And this is where we catch the machine driving the car. Is it because it's a like a Bluetooth or, or wired, you know, Wi-Fi type uh, car setup? Because I can't imagine it, you know, grabbing a farm tractor and doing the same thing. No, well, yeah. I mean, the the car has to have the ability to connect to the net, which a Tesla does. I mean, a Tesla will self-drive. Now, I didn't know this. They said in the commentary that you actually have to have your hands on the wheel for the Tesla to self-drive. Um, I thought you ha- it had to have a butt in the seat in order to self-drive, but they said hands on the wheel. But anyway, so either way, Harold being in the back seat w- is not physically possible with the Tesla, which might have just been to just make it clear. They didn't say this, but it was definitely the machine that was driving. It wasn't like he put in the coordinates or the machine put in the coordinates. No, the machine was driving the car. There was somebody who had, and it's not in the feedback uh, this week, but just somebody who had asked, well, if the machine could drive a car, why wasn't he driving it when Root got killed? You know, maybe he needed to kill, you know, have Root killed, you know, to get Harold where uh, the machine needed him to be. But I I think it's more that this was a, this was a, you know, it's a Tesla for crying out loud. This was really cool because we get to see him go from Barnett's house, get in the car, take the walk to the private jet. And it's just a really cool setup. Like, you don't know what he's doing. You know, he's going to San Jose. Or uh, Santa, maybe that's where the jet was, because he yeah. ends up at the NSA, which is in DC, right? And that where yeah, the NSA San Jose is? to NSA. Thank you very much. Yeah, but it was so cool. That opening setup with with Finch was was great, and that's when the title card drops mm-hmm. and everything. So it was really cool. From here, we see him pick up this guy named Bertrand, and of course, we're in a different car now. He's the what's he the French? Oh, you've got it here. The NATO, NATO defense, defense minister, minister. Yeah. of intelligence. Yeah. Yes. Now, when we see him trank the the French minister, talk about how their eye color is the same, their height is the same, and he's going to go pass himself off as this guy. This is a different side of Finch than we've seen before. I mean, he didn't kill the guy, even though he shot him. He didn't like you know shoot him with a real gun. It was a trank gun. So that's still a line that Finch hasn't crossed, but. This this is still, I mean, this whole thing that Finch has been doing the last two episodes now. I mean, Finch has bro. He's he's now breaking rules that he kind of had decided not to break, and um, and a big one of those at the very very end of the episode. But this is definitely a different side of Finch. And he is again. This is a great thing with um with a person of interest where you don't just turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Little by little, we've seen a little more of Finch, uh, you know, going down into the hole here, as it were, and a little more and a little more. And this week, even more so. Yeah, like you said, uh, taking out a, 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 a NATO defense minister of intelligence, for crying out loud, and breaking into the the building 
and all of that, you know, all of the things that he has been doing, I mean, really taking down, if he's going to take down a lot of the internet, that's, that can be, you know, it's more than just your game servers, you know, there are a lot of things going on, there's there's businesses that run themselves, you know, that need that, and uh, so it, it's, it's going to cause a lot of, a um, lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, we're burning down the forest to, well, to get the two biggest trees in it, but still. Yeah, that's true. This whole NSA thing was fascinating to me. I mean, you think about the NSA. I mean, it is this big organization shrouded in mystery, and it, it makes perfect sense on a lot of levels. I don't want to talk about Samaritan yet, I, but it makes sense on a lot of levels that that when it comes down to the to tell that how this show is going to end, here we are with the penultimate episode, in case I didn't mention, that it needs to come to the NSA. And that is, I mean, when we talk about all the surveillance and the news stuff, not all of it, I mean, but I mean, a lot of what we talked about, we talk about Edward Snowden and um, um, who's the other guy that's known for this? Uh, uh, Julian Assange? Oh, that? Julian Assange, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. From WikiLeaks. Um, yeah, WikiLeaks. I mean, the NSA is at the centerpiece of a lot of this stuff. The CIA, of course, is too, and and everything. And and uh, but it just makes it feels right that we would come here to the NSA. And for those of us that are TV, casual TV viewers, we, no, those of us who are any kind of TV viewer, we know that they <laughs> kind of pull these tricks where you're like, oh, that was convenient, and oh, that was a Deus Ex Machina, and all this other stuff. And it seemed that way here with Harold getting into the NSA and some of the things that they did. And they covered some of those things in the commentary, which we'll kind of address as we go through. But one of the cool things they did, and I didn't recognize the guy's name in the commentary, but as Harold's walking in, he's, he's tranked, he's gotten out of the car, he's walking into the NSA. A lot of that was, you know, the CG team made the sign and all that stuff. But apparently that guy that was walking away from the building is, is a real... I didn't recognize the name. The gist I got was it was a big wig at the NSA and they kind oh, of really? just, they did. He wasn't really there. They, that was all the CG team that, that made him there. So <laughs> I could have misunderstood what they said, but that's, that's what I understood them to say. So, Oh man, I hope I got his permission. Maybe he gets a little, you know, a little check on the side. Hey, we used your image. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they, he gets inside and the machine is, uh, is helping him here. I missed the glitch where, he puts his bag through the metal detector, the x-ray machine rather, and it didn't go off, right? Because his phone is mm-hmm. in there. Um, and I thought that was oh, weird. Yeah. Like, how did they miss that? And I missed the glitch. The screen changed, and I, I missed that. But that, that happened. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, when they do the passport, the screen changed. And I did catch that one. That one was pretty obvious. Yeah, that was obvious, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing the machine did there to help him was to fabricate the existence of a gun in the other lady's bag. That, that was all the machine making that seem. So the machine's helping him as far as he can. I would have liked to have seen if the guys looked in the purse and there isn't a gun in there, you know? It's yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering that too. Now, he does, one of the things he, I, I think he wasn't uh, quite ready for the fact that he needed a retinal scan to get into the uh, server room. And now he had talked earlier as he was, you know, talking to the machine as he's getting in and getting, you know, farther away from the door that this whole thing is, is wrapped in, you know, copper mesh. Uh, so it's a big Faraday cage. And Faraday cages have really, if you don't, didn't know what they were before person of interest, but you better know now because it's been brought up at least five times. Man, alive. Yeah, at least twice this season. The mm-hmm. interesting thing is 
the NSA building is actually ah. a Faraday cage. I didn't know that. I wondered that when, when they did that. But on the commentary, they said, and by the way, we didn't just make that up. The inside of the NSA building is a Faraday cage, which would ah. make sense given the type of work that they do. So, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. But anyway, so he gets this retinal scanner and, you know, we have already been told that the machine can't help him. So I'm figuring how is he going to, you know, get past this. And at some point he does. And I was not, I didn't go back and watch it, but there were a number of you, a couple of times when he peeks into it, you see the kind of the retinal scanner's eye view, (laughs) get it? That, uh, and with text coming up and down and whatnot, and, and, and one time it works. And it's like, did the machine do that? Now, we are not, we haven't got to the parallel story with Reese and Shaw getting in there and getting the uh, the Wi-Fi connection to the outdoors. And I'm guessing that that happened in terms of the timing before he got to the, um, he got to the retinal scanner. So, or, or just, just as it was. So the first two times they hadn't quite set it up yet. And the third time, oh, there it is. So, I mean, yeah. that was, that was really well done. And it, I didn't quite catch it until really after. And we were, you know, talking to uh, some people in the Facebook group about that. So that was, uh, I think that was well done because you've got to, you've got to keep a reasonable uh, timeline for all of your characters that are doing stuff in the same place at the same time. And I think they did a good, good job with that. Yeah. Yeah. And they said in the commentary, there was more to that scene. They had to cut it down considerably because of time, but they they did make it clear that that was the machine that caused the retinal scan to automatic or to to all of a sudden work, and there was more to that confrontation and that went on in that scene that w- that ended up getting cut for time. So uh, that would have made it more dramatic and and more clear had they been given the chance to do that. But they didn't have time to. You know, again, I, I, like I said, they had to squeeze a lot into this episode. So mm. yeah. Well, he he finally gets hooked up to the servers. He's uploaded the program, but he's got to he's got a, a voice activated password. Very nice. Yeah. And when he gets caught there, I liked um, you know, you see, you know, and you know, say the, the password and the, the Samaritan goon has got his finger up to his mouth. Not another word. Travers. Mr. Mr. Uh, yeah. That guy oh, yeah. needs to get it. You know? Oh man. Well he's I think if Martine had not died last uh epi- last uh, season, this she would have been there. That's that that's the Martine position, I think. Well, but he's been, you know, he's been this cocky jerk all along. And when he was going toe-to-toe with Control last season and stuff, and it's like, somebody needs to put that guy in his smug little place, you know? <laughs> pop him in the mouth and uh, put him in his place. But, I mean, look, he's smug for a reason. I mean, he has every reason to be mm-hmm. smug, right? But still, you hope somebody will put him in his place. Now, next week being the last chance we'll get to do that. But, yeah. And you know, this is another one of those things like where Harold is just standing over the machine. He had every opportunity to say the word, the password, and didn't do it, and then it was too late. But having said that, I mean, he really is in turmoil here. He knows that he's killing his child when he says that word. And so it would it would make sense that he would stall, not just for the sake of drama on TV, because there's times when that's like, come on, if you just done it, you know? <laughs> like like when Shaw doesn't get shot. He get and the guy gets hit with it's like he stood over her and now he's hit with a knife. He he had just pulled the trigger, right? <laughs> that stuff happens all the time and it's it's frustrating. But 
at least here where he's standing over and he's talking and monologuing, even though it's a short one. And you're like, come on, do it already. Oh, now it's too late. At least he's, <laughs> yeah, he is. It's a big decision and he's got inner turmoil. So I'll give this one a pass. Is the term monologuing, was that invented in uh, The Incredibles? <laughs> you got me monologuing again. Oh, for quite a lot. I don't know if that's where it came from, but that is what comes to mind. Yeah, really. Oh, man. Now, you know, they take him away. Did you expect to see Greer inside the NSA? I mean, it was like, oh, yeah, Greer, that's what he's going going to. But it didn't it didn't hit me till later. It's like, wait a minute. This is the NSA. This is not some abandoned warehouse with the massive yeah. screen, you know, but held on by a sheet and a projector going on it with Samaritan, you know, throwing <laughs> stuff on the screen there. This is the NSA. Did you expect Greer to be there? No. Nor did I expect Samaritan to be there. And mm. yet it seems like I don't know if this is their headquarters or not, but it could be. It, and and think, I, th- I think it is. In, in the commentary, in the scene where they're at, where it's, it's Greer and, and Harold squaring off in that one room, we're, we're mm-hmm. just about there. That wall of, of lights, you know, panels of lights, they were originally going to make it look like that was some big powerful computer back there. Mm-hmm. And the budget wouldn't allow it. And so, because of that, I think this this is where Samaritan is is the central location, and and I'm just like when that happened, and Greer's there, and we see Samaritan on all the screens, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never saw it coming that Samaritan would be at the NSA, but oh my gosh, that's so obvious now. Of course, that's where I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. Oh my gosh, <laughs> of course, that's where it's at. Man alive, yeah. Well, and 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 Greer does, you know, really does call Harold on this. Talked about him hesitating, mm-hmm. and because you know he knows Finch knows that he's going to kill his creation, his child, him or her, however you want to refer to it as. He called it to him over and over again, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, I, I didn't notice that because he's referred to Samaritan as him as well. Yeah, yep. but he is kind of turning. Some of our thoughts about uh, the two around. In the, for example, he said Samaritan wanted to keep the machine alive mm-hmm. because it's basically uh, un- unequal and equal in a world of subordinates. You know, those who aren't living up to uh, or those who are not quite as brilliant as, you know, either of these two ASIs. So, and and both of them want to do good. For example, he's talking about how Samaritan you know, has increased food distribution, the efficiency, the health screening, you know, I mean, we all know that there's kind of a, a dark side to all that. They've reassorted the population, killed a small minority for the greater good. So this is not, I, I think maybe he's, if he knows Finch well, he may know Finch's concern that a uh, an AI would, to cure world hunger, kill a third of the population. No, this was just a small minority. For the greater good. So, yeah, they really did. Uh, you know, some of that was, you know, we expected to hear from, uh, from Greer. But the idea that Samaritan wanted to keep the machine alive. For those who believe at the end of the season that the two are going to be merged into one, you know, they're going, yes, 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 do it, do it, do it. Um, so maybe that'll happen. And, you know, and, and you know, it's... There's a lot of, and I was having to pause the DVR as I'm, you know, watching this thing so I can write down some of these lines because they were really good lines because these are essentially, you know, the core of what 
this whole battle between the uh, the AIs is about. Harold notes that the people that the small you know uh, group that were killed were the whistleblowers, the truth tellers, and you know Greer's like, you know, they were dragging us back. We're trying to get to a higher plane, and then he gives us the first of a couple of biblical references. This more overt, and in the um, feedback, you'll hear a little on another one. Mm-hmm. A flood is coming. A great filter. You know, this is talking about, of course, Noah and getting rid of the uh, the, the sinful people in the world and leaving only the uh, the ones who are following God. And uh, a great filter. So Samaritan is the one building the ark. You know, so the uh, appealing to, you know, this is a higher power that's kind of in, in control. Samaritan is going to save us all. So, yeah, that was, uh, that, that's, I, I love the imagery that he's, he's uh, created there to show uh, w- what his view of, uh, of the whole thing is. But he, again, we're, who brought the flood? Not any person. God brought the flood. And so who's the God here? Well, it's Samaritan, of course. Mm-hmm. We should just you know, bow down to him and let him do what he wants to do, because that's what Greer's been having happen all along anyway. Yeah, so interesting, too, that, that the Samaritan would want, because we did get the impression that it was trying to kill. Maybe it was just trying to contain. I don't know, because it really does seem to go against what we saw all last season. But having said that, I do like the idea that Samaritan would would like to have a peer. I think that works on a lot of different levels. Iron sharpens iron is a, is a biblical reference, but the idea of that is two people can push each other to a better place than they could alone. Um, and we see this with competition. Competition is a good thing. Free markets are a good thing because th- there's there's each one is continuing trying to elevate and improve and push to uh, to a level that they wouldn't be motivated to do on their own. So I think there's that part of it. Um, I also think that, I mean, what I I don't know why, but for me, I feel like we're looking at Magneto and and Xavier here with <laughs> with the X Men, and I've I felt that way for for a long time with these. Be, I think because you can see flaws in each side, and yeah, it's easy to look at the machine and say good guy and Samaritan and say bad guy, but at the same time, neither of them is perfect. I mean, you can look at some of the good things that Samaritan is doing. You can look at some questionable things that the machine has done. And, but together, those two kind of hold a balance. And when you, if you know, you know, the backstory of, and I don't know, you know, just a bit of the backstory between um, these two X-Men characters that I'm talking about, but, you know, they were once really good friends and they came from a similar cloth and then they diverged. And we don't quite have that with these because, you know, uh, Claypool made Samaritan source code and, Finch wrote the source code for the machine, but they did kind of come out of a similar motivation and a similar desire. And so, and now they've taken these in two separate ways. And I think that that's really compelling from a storytelling point of view, if nothing else. So, um, but it's really interesting for sure to, to learn that the machine, excuse me, Samaritan would like to keep the machine around and doesn't want to utterly destroy it. Um, I'm also thinking during this scene about, Greer's comment to Harold two episodes ago where he says, one day you will join our forces, essentially is what he's saying. And I'm thinking, 
Is this the moment where he's going to put Harold into that position where he has no other choice but to come to their side? But no, that doesn't happen either. He thinks he's yeah. I was surprised about his option is just to kill them, you know, sacrifice them both. Yeah, I mean, clearly, then if if I can't imagine that they would drop that line in and not pay it off. I really thought this was going to be it, and then they, the last episode was going to be, you know, Harold trying to, you know, redo, you know, or undo the, the, the bad he had done in, you know, joining. And he was going to have, you know, be upset because he was probably blackmailed into it. There, He had no choice but to to agree. And so I was really waiting for that. And, I didn't, and not seeing that is like, uh, yeah, okay, you, re- you really are pushing that there. Maybe that's where we see the, um, you know, the idea that we've, been waiting to see Harold use this gun, use a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what gets him out of it. I don't know exactly, but wow, yeah, I was waiting on that, but no payoff this week. Maybe payoff next week. <laughs> I don't. Know. I like the join us. I was, you know, join us, and we will rule the galaxy. As, yeah. <laughs> well, two guys, you know, something like that. Um, that that that's just it. Just if you want to say machine good, it's merit and bad, then that really did sound like that. That's how, uh, yeah, that first thing that popped in my head on that one. But I liked, you know, you know, Harold is sticking to his guns and he, he presents, this is his main issue with, uh, artificial super intelligences. You'll never know if they have concern for human life. You can program that in, you know, put in a set of, uh, moral, uh, uh, Choices, rules, ethical concerns, and things like that. But you won't know for sure if they have that concern. If if that has actually been, uh, you know, owned by whatever this superintelligence is, or whether it's just biding its time and appearing to be, you know, concerned for human life until it's not. You know, so, and and that's why Harold was controlling the machine keeping it under wraps you know not being not giving it complete access to to everything with the polar opposite being Greer who who said I don't control Samaritan any more than apes control us you know so that was a um, that's another dichotomy between them another uh you know a divide, dividing point between those two that Greer has a lot of faith in these AIs and and Harold has none basically as long as we can control it, humans can control it, he's okay with it. But he's just not... Um, so it's it's the control issue here, as uh, as well as, uh, you know, what is the greater good and who's going to decide that? It's a very interesting conversation. And, I, you know, we know the backstory on why Harold doesn't trust the AIs. And we've talked about it over and over again. Uh, you know, uh, the things that the machine tried to do to Harold... In its infancy, one of those was causing a fire to initiate the fire suppression system to suck all the oxygen out of the room and asphyxiate Harold, right? <laughs> so I, it was by no accident that the writers and showrunners brought that scenario back at play with this. And, and you know, I don't know that Greer, I don't know how he could have had any idea, you know. So I don't think Greer chose that method. Of sacrifice to <laughs> the mirror. writers did, yeah, yeah. But it was it was more of a writer showrunner decision, and I thought it was awesome actually to see Harold escape that fate not once but twice. But to Greer willingly sacrifice himself over for his machine, really what he believed, he 
he completely believed that he was giving mm-hmm. himself up for the greater good, you know? And and he really sold it. He believed every line of it. He was so good in this scene. This is not a megalomaniac uh, just uh, making excuses for his megalomania. Yeah, he's he's drunk the Kool-Aid and uh, hook, line, and zinger and all sorts of, you know, other uh, cliches I can come up with. Wow. Yeah. And John Nolan just played it spectacular. He, he played Greer. I mean, I, we probably, you know, we're trying to give props to people as, as we wind our show down here. And, I mean, over and over again, he, he made us hate Greer. And, and it, you're right. He wasn't over the top. He wasn't a caricature. He wasn't even a megalomaniac. He was just someone who didn't see the need for borders. He didn't see the need for individualized systems. He didn't see the need for humans to be the supreme being of the earth. He saw a need for there to be the greater good by whomever, through whatever means necessary, to propel civilization I, I can't use humanity because I think he sees it beyond that too. Yeah. To, to propel existence to whatever to whatever level he can, and you got to give it up to him for being able to see that vision through, to believe it to its core, to his core so much that he just easily, willingly just sacrifices himself to make that happen. Sacrificing himself for what he believed was an evolutionary step. You know, he's got he's thinking that this is. This is our next, he's, again, this is a, a, a question of control. Now, he says he doesn't control Samaritan, but he believes, I think, Samaritan will, um, will control the next step of, of, uh, of human evolution, at the very least. Uh, not just making life better for man, but also potentially changing him. I, that, that's, that's the kind of, that's the impression I got from him. And he, um, so he, you know, he's trying to take, again, he's trying to take control by proxy, so to speak, Samaritan is going to do the uh, do the work, but he's got really big, really big ideas here, and that the problem is is that you can have great ideas, but what's the underpinning here? If everyone loses their freedom, and they're all you know nice little robots doing what they're programmed to do, you know, is 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 that a life? You know, that that's the kind of impression I got for what his ultimate uh, dream is that. Samaritan indeed would when 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 uh, he was most proud of Samaritan that you know that AI was stopping crime he was making people do things mm-hmm. and that sounds to me like what his uh, his his end goal was and don't know if that's a great idea don't think yeah, it is it, and it's a it's a great debate right because there were mm-hmm. some good things that Samaritan was doing but were the means by which it was doing those things and and the the people that were being sacrificed along the way, and he saw them as just being filtered out. You know, I mean, you could look at it as, as survival of the fittest, or, or you know, th- those sorts of things. And I think he did, but I think mm-hmm. all of us would look at it. Not all of us. I'm sure there are people out there who would who would say, you know, I kind of, you know, kind of agree with that. We, we we would be better if if we could filter out certain diseases and things like that, right? And there's a whole moral argument we can go to there, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. um. But anyway, yeah, it was, it's it's a it's really interesting to see him. We've inferred a lot of these beliefs into him through his mm-hmm. actions and and thing. But as he comes to present his case to Harold, it, it was really great. It was fantastic. It was great, great, 
writing. It was great acting to see these two pawns, as he as he called them, squaring off in this chess match, um, and Harold losing that chess match. That was great too, right? When mm-hmm. when Greer calls him out, and says you've. <laughs> it was like when um oh what's his face fezic um you know <laughs> you know you've tipped your hand already you fool you know that's kind of the uh the, <laughs> that was a good fezic thank you <laughs> <laughs> boom and then he fell over dead <laughs> <didn't. laughs> well yeah wonder if he got asphyxiated Ew. yeah so yeah, it was great. I love this scene. It was the best, the best scene of the whole episode. There was a lot of exposition, but not really exposition, but a lot of talking. And some people say, "Where's the action, man?" There was plenty of action elsewhere. This was the central conflict, and you can't just gloss over it. You gotta, you know, explore it a little bit at least. And I think they did a great job with it in terms of keeping the dialogue just, you know, you really wrapped up in it. And like you said. Our heroes, quote unquote, lose the battle because, you know, the, the uh, you know, the other guy's got the guns and uh, they get to we get the drop on him. And so we are both going down and my guy's going to win. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah. But but we get the <laughs> access to the phone and all of a sudden the machine is blinking the door combination. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't high frequency Morse code. I'd have never heard it. <laughs> Yeah, they talked about in the commentary how they did a lot of research onto how this could be done. How could they get a message inside the NSA? Now, they didn't say on whether or not what they actually showed on screen turned out to be plausible, which I wondered because <laughs> I'm thinking. You did a lot of research. I still don't but... think that that's possible. Yeah, <laughs> but they did do a lot of research, you know? So <laughs> maybe they did a lot of research and what they did on screen could be done. I don't think so, especially given the the security of the NSA, the Faraday cage, the like you gonna you, you got a router, great. What are you gonna do with it? And does the phone have the ability to magically connect itself to that network? You know, a lot of things, right? This was a lot of and hand the waving. Tesla and the Tesla was driving itself. There you are. Yeah, but I was okay <laughs> with the hand waving here. It was great. And okay, so let me ask you, Doug. Harold made it out alive, obviously. Mm-hmm. Greer slumped over on the floor, presumably asphyxiated. But is he? Presumably. Is he actually dead, or was he just mostly dead? (laughs) Was that the fifth Princess Bride (laughs) reference of the episode? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Folks, you got to watch the Princess Bride before you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just on general principles. The only jokes I know how to make are associated, you know. (laughs) But no, I think, yeah, I... We only have Finch's word on that. He said, Greer's dead. Yeah. If we don't see him next week, he's dead. That's what I'm yes, thinking. absolutely. So, yeah. Again, we didn't see him. They didn't go back to him with his body, even after the, the door was open and all that. They didn't go back to him. So, it's like, uh, maybe they're trying to keep that... that Keep that door open, so to speak. Yeah, it's just um, like it, it's just like control. Like we saw her being led mm-hmm. off to slaughter, but we're like, we didn't see a body, and here we saw his quote unquote lifeless body. But he could have just been passed out, you know, because mm-hmm. you can go without air and lose consciousness and come back to life. Now, 
not saying that happened, right? But Oxygen did refill the room, and but he was farther away from the door. He's an older man. I mean, there's there's some factors at play here where he could genuinely be dead. But we, I don't think we got a conclusive shot. No, I don't think so. Well, again, we'll have to wait till next week to, yeah. to see what happens there. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, this is where uh, we have the B story merged with the A story, and Reese and Shaw grab uh, or try to help Finch uh, get out. The machine gives them a way out, and that that you know you're waiting for, and they have you know said there's going to be a bloodbath, and we don't know whose blood it's we're going to be bathing in. But the the shootout here, I was worried about that maybe this is where we we lose Reese. Yeah, because um, they did a very good job of you know putting them in peril in the uh, the whole the whole group. You know, both he and Shaw in peril when it came to. Um, to this particular uh, gun battle, and it was, it was down to the wire, really. And so, yeah, I I, I liked how uh, liked how they did it, and I thought, well, this is you know, somebody's going to die here. And uh, no, 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 machine is still giving him the way out. And then at one point, Harold locks himself essentially into going, you know, getting ready to uh, release the virus. And uh, Reese is not happy at all about this. He is, you know, you, you, you're supposed to be getting out with us, and he's afraid that, you know, this is the end of Harold if, uh, if Harold goes through with it, which is, you know, still something to be, to be determined. That's right. You see, you know, at the end, he's just walking out as, you know, Samaritan's kind of blinking, but anyway, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but yeah, who knows? So now we're at the point where we're back in the server room. No, we're not in the, we're not in the same server room. We're kind of at mission control for Samaritan, right? Yeah, something a little different. I wasn't sure exactly where, but yeah, not the yeah, same place. Yeah, I mean, got the big screens and stuff like that. And Harold mentions, or he says that, well, this is great, because he's saying so much with his face, Michael Emerson is. And, and, and mm-hmm. again, he, he's in turmoil. We have, we have that discussion about, I told you I would never hurt you, right? And the machine says, yes, but there is a bigger protocol at play here which is all of humanity and gives him permission to kill herself. I mean, she knows she's known full well. She has helped Harold get to this point. Think about that. Getting him into Barnett's office, getting him in the Tesla, getting him inside the NSA, you know, getting the retinal scan, opening up the, the airtight door, all of that. She knew full well the entire time. And you think about this, you compare and contrast this with Greer, right? Greer was all in, willing to lay down his life for the greater good. And the machine is all in, willing to lay down her life for the greater good. And I, I, I like that. I mean, I think the easy compare and contrast would have been to, to make Samaritan and the machine make those decisions against each other or Harold and Greer to make those decisions together. And in a way, Harold and Greer did. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in Greer's case, it, he felt like that was to lay down his own life. And in Finch's place, he felt like that was to take the life of the machine. But it's, it's a really, I mean, those things are, are, are all in play here and, and trying to not mirror each other directly, but they are, mirror like decisions that are being made and and the repercussions of those decisions so 
It was and really, flipped, really well yeah, done. Yeah, they flipped them around between, yeah. you know, the human and the machine, mm-hmm. uh, the AI on, on either side. Yeah, though, that was, that's very, it was fantastic writing. Um, you know, to, to, you know, like you said, the easy parallel would have been the humans or the uh, computers. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when Harold says the password, mm-hmm. Dashwood, did you get the reference right away? I did not. Uh, the, no. the folks on our Facebook page saved us on that. We'll, we'll reveal that. My first note on that was, is that his real last name? Did he, did he finally reveal his real last name? But that was not the case. The, the, the case is, we've seen him reading this book before. I think he, it, has, it ties into to his story with Grace, and I'm, not, I'm foggy on that. But in this episode... Um, Shaw was flipping through the book back at the Batcave, mm-hmm. and that is a pr- uh, not Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility. Sense and sensibility. Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. a name from that book. I'm not familiar with that book. I haven't read it, so uh, it was I was it was completely lost on me. Thanks to our Facebook fans. Yes, uh, Facebook uh, fans isn't the right word. Groupies. Yeah, that's not better. <laughs> <laughs> the great people on Facebook who. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> it's not coming. What, no, coming. What, I, <laughs> what I liked at, was that early earlier the tete a tete with um, Finch and Greer, Greer got the answer. One of the answers he was looking for, and that was Finch had not told the machine what the password was. Yep, and he hadn't. But when it came time to use it, the machine says, "Come on, you can say it." Eight letters. And, and and Finch is surprised that the machine did know that. But, you know, if you have enough information about a person, this machine does, to predict what they are going to do, to be able to plan ahead for what they're going to do so that they can, you know, get through the NSA, for crying out loud, then you can figure out the password, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially, don't make it a, you know, something like that. You know, you should have had at least a number and a symbol you know, and 18 <laughs> characters. Come on, man. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but she knew it. And, and, you know, this was, she understood what was going to happen. And like you said, it, this was a voluntary act on her part. Yeah. And I see now you've put a note in here. Brian Owen over on our Facebook page says that it's derived from the Dashwood family in the name Sense and Sensibility. Um the book that Harold used to propose to Grace, and then Shaw was looking at it earlier in the episode. So, yeah, and we'll get some more of that in uh, another feedback. Somebody uh, kind of expanded on that. That was, and it's really cool. It re- really, very is. Yeah, or I mean, it, it really is. Um, one other thing that, and this kind of ties. We weren't really touching on the, you know, it's a wonderful life uh, vignettes, and we'll, we'll we'll catch those a little later. But the last one was done here, especially. I think the last one was with Reese, but. Harold is, you know, before he has released the hounds, released the virus, said that this, this world without the machine was just different, not better. And again, this is him being the downer, you know. If you've looked at, and we've been watching, you know, through the episode, how much worse these, you know, our heroes were off when they didn't have this kind of a connection, this kind of a, uh, uh, a, a job to do. This exposure to the machine and what it was doing—that no, they—it wasn't—it was better, you know. What the exposure to you, Harold, and uh, your creation actually made a difference—not just in the numbers, but in the people who were involved in it. Yes, there was a lot of 
um, danger, a lot of uh, heartache, a lot of, uh, you know, tough times. But, and, you know, and a few people died as well. But mm-hmm. overall, this was a, uh, a much better outcome for, for everyone involved. So I like the way how, how they handled that. But again, Harold is still not quite there. And I'm kind of hoping he will be tomorrow or mm-hmm. next week. Next week, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's, I, I share a little bit of a different opinion. Let me just put it, I was going to say that's, I'm not sure that's right. That's, that's not the right way to phrase that. But I want to save that for, because we're just about to talk about the, um, the alternate realities that we were given. And so um, I think those are going to be fun to talk about and play with too. So, mm-hmm. um, but the interesting thing here, he does, he gives the password. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The way I understood the the dialogue, the things we learned through the dialogue is that the the virus would definitely kill the machine and would probably kill Samaritan. Is that right? Is that what you heard too? I, I thought it, it was a definite. Both? I think it was a definite kill shot on both of them. Okay. Well, in order to way, kill Samaritan, I think in order to kill Samaritan, which was the purpose, mm-hmm. it would also kill the machine. Yeah. Well, definitely killing the machine. I guess we 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 definitely heard both heard that. But then we have the monologue from episode one of mm-hmm. this season. So, yeah. and then of course after episode ten, when Root died, we learned that that was the voice of Root, not the voice or the voice of the of the machine, not the voice of Root. So now it's like, hmm, how is this gonna how is this gonna wrap up? I mean, if the machine is alive, presumably based on that monologue. Does that mean Samaritan is still alive? What does that mean? So there's a lot of great questions that I, I mean. This ending with with Harold just you know setting off the bomb, if you will, and then walking out, and that's that's the end of the episode. It leaves so much up in the air for next week, and it it's going to be tremendous. It, it's kind of the action hero scene in a techie uh, setting. Yeah, you know how the bomb explodes and the the hero just turns his back on it and walks away. You know, doesn't even turn on us. So <laughs> he sets off the bomb, starts walking away, and the fr- fr- that's you know, there's the explosion, guys. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah, right, whatever. But uh, yeah, kind of, kind of that. Yeah, will will the machine come back? You know, I think they have. I think they've given us a uh, a little poke that says, "Yeah, we're not all we're not dead yet." So mm-hmm. we shall see. That's my that's my thought. I like that. I like that. Well, let's talk about Fusco. All righty. We got a little bit here with him. And it was it was really really good. I mean, we didn't get a lot with him, but I think what we got was was really good with the encounter of the uh who is this guy? Is he FBI, CIA? Who is this guy? I think he's FBI. He's a federal agent of some sort. I'm thinking FBI. Yeah. Um, but they discover the bodies in the tunnel and that's going, that immediately gets Fusco antsy because he was mm-hmm. there. He saw them. He also had the, the board, which will, the cork board with their pictures, which actually came into play here. So he has, he has a lot of reason to be antsy about this. Now, does he know that, let's call him FBI guy. LaRue. Um, Thank you. Could not think of his name. Does he know that LaRue is working for Samaritan or in or does what is his what is the extent of his knowledge of LaRue? Do you do you recall that cuz I don't. I'm not sure just based on this episode 
My impression was that he was a little concerned that LaRue might find out that he knows about this machine and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But as things moved along, I think LaRue tipped his hand yep. and Fusco understood what was going on. Yeah, I, th- I know that he knows LaRue is not to be trusted and, and could do some bad things. I just don't know that he f- knows the how far up LaRue is connected to, you know, the bad things of the world. But this was great. Now. Okay, I don't know how fast you want to move through this, but when he's captured by LaRue and then they take the walk out by the river, my goodness, I totally fell for this. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, no, I jumped. I did. Oh, I did too. Man. I'm watching it at my computer, and and when that happened, I was like, <gasps> I, 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 <laughs> I recoiled, my hands went up to my face. I, I totally felt, and, and you know, he was only on the ground for what? three to five seconds of screen time. But it seemed like an eternity. It did. And like <laughs> Fusco's life is flashing before my eyes. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of all, of course we've gotten, we've gotten his alternate universe, you know, scenario. By already. This time, yeah. So mm-hmm. some of those things that he had done and, and just how far he had come was fresh in the mind. But I'm thinking through that story arc mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about all the situations he's been able to get out of. And I'm thinking, he's the everyman. He's the Hurley. He can't be dead. How did they do this? I can't believe they... Oh, never mind. He's alive. <laughs> I mean, all this is racing through my head in that like three seconds, five seconds, whatever it was. And I'm like, ah, I can't believe I fell for that. But I did all the way. <laughs> you want to know what I was thinking? I predicted yes. this. I knew it was going to happen. Fusco's, you know, redemption arc has come full circle. He was, you know, the bad guy. He's, you know, dug his way out of it. He's been uh, tortured for the machine and for the good. Of the, and this is now the end of his story. And I just thought that was going to be it. I thought, yeah, I, I, I shocked for a second. But then, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of not fitting. Not this particular. I didn't like if this was going to be the way he goes, I wasn't going to like it completely. Yeah. I would understand that somehow he's, it's going to end. But this was, yeah, I didn't like this one. Yeah, he so, needs to get, if he's going to die, it needs to be as a hero, not taken out to the river and, and put down. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. man. <laughs> but we, but it, we don't get a resolution of that, right? He's standing over LaRue, kind mm-hmm. of asking himself what, he, what the best move for him to make is, and that's kind of where we leave these characters, isn't it? And he has a real moral dilemma. Yeah. Become like the Samaritan crowd, kill LaRue, and for his greater good, save he and his family. But you're turning into the very uh, people that you're trying to, uh, to fight against. So now, you know, yeah. so I, we, le- we left it, I think, at that question. Him standing over LaRue and uh, with a gun pointed at him thing. Okay, what do I do, buddy? Yeah, because I don't uh, think he can, yeah. like, put cuffs on LaRue and take him in. I don't, because there's... They got what nothing proof? on him, right? No. There were, the camera was busted when Fusco was walking out leaving a message, so no uh, no information out there. And that's why the machine probably did not uh come to his aid because it couldn't it was blind at that spot. Yeah. So that's that's gonna be interesting to see how that unfolds. I can't imagine he's kind of in a uh between a rock and a hard place right now, and I don't know how he's gonna get out of that pickle. Absolutely. No, it's gonna be it, but it's a good, it's another one of those 
questions that POI wants to deal with. And I, and I like how they've done that with Fusco and given him a, and it, it makes, because we know his backstory, it makes those questions even more relevant and deep. Uh, what, you know, we've seen what this character has gone through. This is a, is he, he could just fall back into, this could be a case of him falling back into the rut that he was in before because it's familiar and he knows, you know, how to play that part. But is he going to, it's not just a question. It's, it's actually which direction is this character going to take, um, at the end here. So I'm, I'm, I'm liking that. I'm liking how they're handling that. Yeah, I concur. Well, that's going to be, gosh, there's so much that's got to be resolved next week. <laughs> We're, it's going to have to be bang, 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 bang. And yeah. I, you know, there may be guns involved, but you know. Yeah. Well, let's talk about these alternate versions of what, what would have happened if the machine had never been born, essentially. All right. If we're going to go the It's a Wonderful Life uh, story comparison here. I'm loving it. Yes. Yeah. The first one we get is Nathan Ingram. And Nathan never would have died. Mm-hmm. Finch never would have been injured. But he never would have met Grace. And, of course, all the stuff that happened with the machine in his life uh, never would have happened. So is that better or worse? Two, one person's alive, love is never found, and Finch is never injured. I don't think Finch's injury is – that's not a big deal. Not to say it's not a big deal, but you know what I mean? It's not like yeah, – yeah, it's not yeah. life it's or not, death. He's been alive and continue pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the two issues there are Nathan being alive – but Grace and and Finch never having met, and he he walks off into the sunset as a workaholic. Yeah, um, you know that's I mean, and that's you know, instead of selling something you know something to the government for a buck, he continues making his bajillions. Yeah, that's unlike the other alternates. This is a tough one to call. You know, you've got. You've got Nathan. Nathan stays alive, and and I don't, I don't think I got the impression. And maybe this is what kind of gave Finch the idea that well, it wouldn't have been better. It would have been just different, because especially after this particular uh, scenario, it's different. It's is it better? You know, we have a man who's alive now than who was that or who who stays alive instead of uh, being blown up, but you know he doesn't get. He's figuring I, I, that line was if it was meant to be, it would have already happened. Yeah, well, not necessarily Finch. You know, sometimes things happen. Well, it goes but, back to the old line: it, "Is it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all." Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that true? Because this is a scenario where that is the reality. Because they're not together now, and with the machine, Grace and Finch aren't together. But now they're both heartbroken because they loved and they, they can't were. be together. So is that worse than they have never fallen in love to begin uh, with? I hadn't thought about it that way. That's yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's this is yeah, this is a this is a balancing act on this particular one yeah. here. Yeah. So this one's not real cut and dry. I think we can agree on that. It's it's mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. What about Fusco and the machine? Uh, his if he had never encountered the machine, he would have gotten taken down with HR. He never would have had his um, uh, retribution is the word that's coming to mind, and that's completely wrong. Um, they, oh, they talked about him uh, recalibrating his moral compass. Yeah, you know, that's the, not um, the word. Recalibrating is good, though. But yeah, I was thinking of a different word. But but yeah, so he's he's a drunk. He's an ex-cop. But when HR went down, he went down. Yep. 
But Carter's still alive. Mm-hmm. I wish they could have brought your IGP Hinton back for this yeah, one. Yeah, that would have been nice. Uh, we saw some good faces. In fact, in this scene, we saw, uh, what's his face? Um, I didn't write down his name. Uh, I should have. You know, the guy that was, that was giving Fusco a hard time. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't remember his name either, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it would have been great to have her back. But yeah, she, but you know, there's, there, again here, you know, there's a little difference uh, as well. Carter is not dead. She right. is promoted. Fusco got his just desserts, you know? Yep. So, you know, I, I was saying these are all down, and, you know, these are all pretty much downers, but not necessarily, no. Yeah. Well, these first two, no. And in this case, think of, you know, the, the twist on this in my mind is, okay, Carter died. That's terrible. She left a son behind. Terrible. But, you know, if we're going to talk about good and bad, you know, we're not talking about spirituality in any of these things. We're just talking about good. Are you in a good place or a bad place? She was in a good place when she died. Her, her, her life had a good arc to it. Mm. And so you look at her death and go tragic as it is good arc. And that's if the machine is in play, if the machine is not in play and she may not be happy in her current life. I don't know. She, she got the promotion, but that doesn't guarantee happiness. That doesn't mean she's in a good place. We didn't get that information. Really? Fusco, definitely not in a good place. Right. So maybe it is better if, if they both, even though it means she's dead, possibly it's better that they both encountered the machine. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. saying, maybe. But yeah, they're the, still not cut and dry. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. I, I, yeah, I, I labeled it Henry Peck, but it's actually because that's who we see at the beginning. Yeah. But and I get I, you know in one of the previous numbers, and like again, they're they're pulling these things in from previous episodes. A great job with that. Yes. Like sitting across the uh, table from him is a pre-machine Shaw. I love the reveal on this. They gave us plenty of time to go, who is he talking to? And I could not figure it out. <laughs> when they revealed Shaw, and I'm like, I would not have guessed that. Give me 10 guesses, maybe, you know, because I'm running out of people. <laughs> but yeah, she's back and, and she's still working on the control side of things. Now, let, let's back up here because they gave us clues in all of these things mm-hmm. that there was still something Machine. bigger at play here. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was in Nathan's flashback, but there was a very subtle thing there. Uh, in Fusco's flashback, the the other cop guy the, whose name we can't remember. Um, oh, they got it in the chat. Uh, Bill Shemansky. Um, he's talking about how the crime rates are down. They're working yes. cold cases and all. That was a huge clue that, wait a minute, that Miss, sounds missing like persons, that happened. Missing persons yeah. are up. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like Samaritans going on. Um, so Arthur Claypool kept his, uh, kept his job, his, uh, you know, project alive. And there it was, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So now we're with Shaw and she's still working for the relevant side of things. Uh, her, Partner Cole is still alive, mm-hmm. but again, Cole again, somebody's still alive with Cole. Mm-hmm. But okay, all right. Shaw is still Shaw. She's living a life without purpose and fulfillment. She's not happy. She, you know, she's she still has her issues. You know, with yeah. the machine. That's just her. We've seen that from her from her childhood. But I think everyone would agree, including her that she's better now than she was before. She never would have met Root 
uh, with if she goes the, the route without the machine. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Well, you, again, you've got somebody who's alive now that, that wasn't before. But you also have, now, you know, Shaw is still Shaw, but before she was taking out terrorists, now she's taking out anybody who just happens to know about the machine, mm-hmm. who has some suspicions about, you know, some higher uh, authority running, you know, pulling the strings and all the, all that. So her job is the same to take people out, but who is she taking out? You know, she is thinning the herd. She is reassorting. She is, you know, part of the flood taking out, uh, you know, filtering out people. So, you know, the job she has, you know, versus, um, versus Cole. I had, as we were going through this, I'm like, oh, wow. They really, they really made these these difficult, didn't they? Yeah, you, you really know? did. And, and you can kind of now see. I was I was like, oh, these were all great, you know, great, you know, you know, the bad results of the people. So it's great that they, you know, had the machine. But wow, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the layers here and the lack of black and white in in, in all of them. Ah, I'm, I'm impressed. This is really good. Yeah, I can hardly wait to find out what comes next. <laughs> and the clue here is that she's. She's an operative for a government agency that is tracking this stuff, right? And so mm-hmm. now it's like, well, wait a minute, the machine's not. And then, of course, the final one, it's completely revealed. It's Greer. He's, you know, uh, Senator, um, I think you wrote it down here. Um, I can't remember the senator's name. No, you just wrote it down uh, er, Earlier, I think I, yeah. I wrote it down. Oh, no, that, that was actually last week. Yeah. And Greer is just got, he's the, he's the puppet master. He's mm-hmm. in total control. There's no... Um, uh, entity that come up against him and the big kick in the gut here is we see Root there was she didn't ever encounter Harold she didn't ever encounter the machine she never saw people as anything other than bad code uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I loved what they did here too they had her hair pulled back and her attire she definitely looked like a brunette version of martine and that was on yeah. that was intentional and i think the flip side of that is oh man because we've hated on martine we've shown her no no love but it's like maybe martine was redeemable redeem redemption that's the word i was trying to find with fusco earlier um you know if if she had encountered harold instead of greer first you know what i mean if she so, only kidnapped him and held a knife to his throat <laughs> everything would have been better <laughs> uh, so compelling, so good. So I, I think my question is, would it have been better if the machine had never been born? Based on these scenarios, well, and we have Reese too. Oh, we, I skipped Reese. on Reese. My bad. Thank you for yeah, yeah. What do we have on Reese? Well, you know, he he saved Jessica. He confronted her husband. You know, because I, I, I and going through this, I had forgotten. You know what the backstory was yeah. entirely. Yeah, but you know he wasn't. Uh, her husband was uh, treating her badly, I guess, and uh, so he confronts him. But it, in doing so, it terrified Jessica because you know if he if he if you know if he did if he went all man in the suit on uh, her husband, I can see how it might uh, get Jessica Jessica uh, scared. So she rejected him completely, and um, I don't know if we f- did we find out. You know, they they mentioned his body washing up. In the East River, but do mm-hmm. we know was that uh, like a suicide because he he couldn't um, he didn't get Jessica or or was there something else that took him out? 
That was the presumption that I made. I mean, he was in a really deep, dark place when Harold rescued him. And, you know, going back to dates on tombstones, we talked about roots at the beginning of this episode. His was 091611. That's about a week or so. I don't remember the exact date prior to the series premiere. So you think that he never would have been there for Harold to find and redeem, you know? And so that's, but again, it's not cut and dry because Jessica's in a better place. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Oh, man. All right, all right. I guess so. I it seems like I, I should have read the notes that I was taking. <laughs> Reese, Root, Fusco, Shaw. I don't know about Harold. Definitely not Nathan. But those guys were in a better place because of the machine. You know, Nathan's dead. Finch is in gut wrenching turmoil after having killed his child and doesn't have Grace. You know, never would have met Grace otherwise. So mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I said, but. But at the same Jessica's time, dead. Jessica's you, dead. Cole's dead. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Carter's okay. dead. Last week in your surveillance in the news, you had this great article where you were talking about the gist of what I pulled from that was there's so much data coming in through surveillance that they can't process it all. It's like trying to drink from a fire hose and you get nothing, you mm-hmm. know, and the, and so they're not able to take action because there's so much data they can't, they can't. It's overload. And so the flip side of that is, well, then turn the faucet off. You know, <laughs> if you're not going to be able to use the data, then don't collect the data. And mm-hmm. I kind of think that that's, that's where we wound up here. You, the, the machine didn't make life any better or any worse. I, I, the only caveat to that in my mind is that Samaritan exists and the machine, without the machine, Samaritan runs wild. But I do think that if you pull out AIs, right, if, if you don't have Samaritan or the machine, that, that humanity is just as good without them as they are with them. And I think that's a powerful message. It goes back to your surveillance in this last week. And so the only, to me, the only argument that you can have for the machine, at least in the context we have so far, is to offset Samaritan. And, and so that's kind of how I, that's how I walked away from all this. And they kind of allude to that if, you know, if Harold hadn't done it, somebody else would have. And, of course, we have already known that Claypool did it. So this was like a problem whose time has come, you know. So, yeah, I, 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 wow, that's, that's, you know, if you take, yeah, take the AIs out of it. But I think the, the story that we're being given is that this was inevitable no matter how you sliced it. And so it's better to at least have a balancing power, you know, basically a cold war. We've, 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 Mm. I think we've made some allusions to that as well. There needed to be uh, somebody to, to counterbalance. And again, this is, is Samaritan bad and machine pure good? You know, there's been that issue, but as with, you know, superior AIs, nations the same way, not a, there's no perfectly good one or perfectly bad one, but on balance, you know, you do have some issues that need to be uh, that need to be balanced out and fought for. So, yeah, I think uh, now now Harold's line saying life without the machine wouldn't have been better; it would have just been different. If you're looking at the body count, you're looking at better or worse life. Yeah, I can see what he's going at, but now with Samaritan being the predominant and only yep. ASI, eh, yep. I think on balance we lose. I think that's it too. 
but I'm so glad they gave us these scenarios. It just made it so interesting. I mean, that, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion that we just had on these, and, and we could have spent more time on it, but it's it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad that they were able to to tell so much in so little time with these pieces that they gave us this week. It was fantastic. Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm feeling next week is going to be packed even more. Wow. Yeah. Well, the penultimate episode was fantastic. I gave it a 10, and it was just as good as it gets. <laughs> Loved it. Well, I, oh, I, right. I raved on your surveillance news from last week. What have you for us this week? Well, this week I got, I, I got to say, folks, you have been wonderful. You know, I, I occasionally look at the news, I, you know, reading for, looking for the word surveillance or looking for, you know, things that kind of pop up and saving things like that. I've got a whole document, a page and a half or so of, you know, of links to stuff that I have skipped across, mostly because uh, you folks have been sending me stuff. So uh, a couple of things I'm going to, because we're getting near the end, I've had some great stuff. I have two that kind of go together. I'm not going to spend a whale of a lot of time on them both. The links will indeed be in the show notes at goldenspiralmedia.com slash POI. But the first one is from Barb Rankin, listener Barb. And the title, the headline from howtogeek.com is this, how to disable your webcam and why you should. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. This has a too long didn't read version. <laughs> script kitty hackers. Script kitty hackers are those that don't actually do the hacking themselves. They download software to do the hacking for them. Uh, can and do use easily accessible tools and script and phishing techniques. No, not in a river like F P H I S H. You know, I send you an email that uh, you click on the link and buddy, we, in- we infect you. So, accessible tools and phishing techniques to hijack webcams of unsuspecting people, often who they know, and watch them through their camera. They can store images and videos of people in compromising situations, and many of these images and videos are uploaded to shady websites. If you've got kids, you should strongly consider reading the entirety of this article, it says. Even if you don't, I'm thinking. Um, And they give some examples of, you know, how it's... You know, how this kind of stuff has gotten out of control. Uh, One of their examples, a couple of examples. Uh, In 2009, a student sued his school when he discovered his school-provided laptop was secretly photographing him. And the ensuing legal investigation revealed that the school had collected 56,000 photographs of students without their knowledge or consent. In 2013, researchers demonstrated they could activate the webcam on MacBooks Without the indicator light turning on, you know, the little light that comes on, it says the cam's on, something previously considered impossible. A former FBI agent confirmed that not only was this possible, but they've been doing it for years. So, yes, you may want or just put a little electrical tape across the thing, you know, when you're not using it, you know. Um, If you do use it a lot, you know, a little little flap to come down and and, and back up. But, wow. So, thanks, Barb. That's, uh, you know... We're talking about a um, TV show where a computer AI can grab, you know, feeds from all over the place, video feeds from all over the place. Clearly, people can do that. Well, then the next one I want to cover is a um, from a website, vice.com. Now, I could not get to this normally. I had to go through a proxy because I use, you for those of you who, uh, something you may want to be, uh, you might be interested in, there's a... Uh, Company called OpenDNS. They have a free service where you can, and they tell you how to do it. Change your name servers when you type in goldenspiralmedia.com. There's a name server out there that turns goldenspiralmedia.com into a number, 
which is the you know the the unique address that uh, GSM is on the internet. So those name servers, you can you can say I want. You usually it's set up that your internet provider resolves those names, or it they they do it and they they search the internet for it and then they keep track of them themselves. Or you can point them to this open DNS thing. And then you can go to a web page for your account on there and say, I don't want my anybody in my uh, house, you know, whoever's using this thing to see these kinds of websites and those kinds of websites, the other kind of websites. And this one is, uh, I think Vice was, uh, it, it's in one of its lists for like weapons or something like that. I, I'm um, specifically that. Anyway, set a little aside there, but you may want to look into that if you are in a family and uh, want to make sure that uh, your kids aren't going where they shouldn't. It's not perfect, but it's really good. So anyway, they have a uh, an article about, well, the headline is this. This guy's app could turn our old iPhones into thousands and thousands of surveillance cameras. Surveillance in the news. Actually, so what happened here is this app developer, Ron Banagale, ha- had his, uh, his sister. His sister was uh, sexually assaulted while walking along a college campus. Now, no one can be prosecuted for this because... The surveillance cameras that were operated by the college were obstructed by a construction sign. So there was no, you know, physical evidence of it, no, no video of it. So he created a program called Perch Live. And the idea is that it'll run on, you know, phones, I believe, iOS and Android. And that uh, it just is a, it's just recording video. So you would set up, you know, like he said, a, a discarded or, you know, about to be discarded phone that you're not using anymore, and you could point it anywhere, you know, clamp it, whatever, and do that, and it records everything it sees and uploads it somewhere. And so uh, so the idea here is it's, you know, uh, it's an easy way to, if you've got crime concerns, or, uh, you know, you don't have to go out and buy a special camera, a special wireless camera, or whatever, to hook into your network. You just load this up, hook it up, and it just turns your smartphone or tablet into a security camera that is publicly accessible. Not, it's, you know, it's not, you're not going to carry it in your pocket, of course, because that it can't see anything. Right. But this is for old phones that are lying around. So, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, again, good uses, bad uses, machines, Samaritan, could go, uh, could go both ways. But, uh, so, yeah, you may want to turn off your webcam because somebody might be staring at you with it. And uh, if you do want to be staring, you know, making sure that there's uh, some recording of something going on, then um, maybe uh, maybe you want to look into Perch. Who knows? Man. Wow. That's scary. There was a video, I think we posted it on our Facebook page this week, of Edward Snowden uh, making the rounds this week. And I don't know how current it is, but he talked about in that the only way for you to secure your communications on your phone is to open it up, take out the front facing camera and the back facing camera. There are typically two or three microphones in a phone uh, for noise canceling and that sort of thing. Take all those out. However many there are, that includes the one that you would use when you're making a phone call, right? You're talking into a microphone. So now the question was, okay, well, and how do you use it as a phone? And he says, well, because <laughs> then if that, that basically means there's no, audio or video input devices on the phone because those are being used and, and the information is being sucked in. And so now if you want to use it as a phone, take your earbuds cause they have the built in microphone a lot of times on the, you know, the lapel area, plug it in, make your phone call. Now when you're done, take it out. 
Otherwise, they would be able to use that as a microphone. So it's the only way that you can make sure that your phone is secure from, you know, eyeballs and earballs. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Ooh, this is this is this is not a uh, uh, an anatomy podcast. <laughs> it's Ladies it's scary, man. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I had. Oh man. Guess I'm going to have to go down to the uh, the nearest uh, cell phone place and say, "Hey, can you turn this into a brick?" Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> go get my Nokia. Of course, even that has a microphone on it. Well, thank you, Doug. You know, um, just as a, a quick announcement, because some folks may, they, you know, some folks turn off the podcast at different times. Um, we'll mention this again, but next week's podcast is, for us is going to be at a different time. And so we're about to get into our feedback. We want to give all of you more time to give your feedback in for the final episode. So where we normally podcast on Wednesday nights, we're moving it back a full day. So Thursday night at seven o'clock Eastern time is when we'll be doing our podcast next week. So you'll have an extra 24 hours to watch, watch again, ruminate, marinate, saturate, confiscate, (laughs) deliberate. I don't know, whatever it is you want to do and send in that feedback again, golden spiral media.com slash feedback three Oh four, eight, three, seven, two, two, seven, eight. So I'll mention that again, but while I'm thinking about it, cause I know like I said, some people turn off the podcast at different times, be aware. So you guys can send in your stuff. So, uh, speaking of listener stuff, we've got an update on the contest. We still have not seen control yet. So oh. if we don't see her next week, she's presumed dead. So all of you who whoa, said whoa, she no, was... No, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hmm? I thought that when we did this, we said if there has not been a... Did we have something special for control? We said if there was a question as to whether they were alive or dead, the default was alive. Okay. I think you're right. I think I misremembered that until you corrected me. Okay. Um. And then I really wish they would tell us what's going to happen to control. I, yeah, I yeah. really want them to do that. And then unless we see Greer next week, we are presuming he died in yes. this episode, which would be episode we'll take, 12. We'll take Finch's word for it. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see next week. Oh, I don't know. It's, <laughs> there's still so many people alive, right? So next week, if it's going to be a bloodbath, it's all going to happen next week. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, all right, well, let's get into the feedback for this week. We've got an audio, a couple of audios to listen to to start out with. The first one comes from Brian. This is Brian calling from Canada regarding the Person of Interest podcast. As Synecdoche ends with Reese and Fusco gazing over the reflecting pool towards the Illuminati Obelisk, more commonly known as the Washington Monument, we enter into and find this episode.exe packed with both obvious and more subtle references and symbolism as outlined in the CBS POI online article shared by Doug on Facebook. The Georgia Guidestone population control, or more like culling reference, in this dialogue between Greer and Finch, a flood is coming, the great filter, and Finch says, which species gets left behind? And Greer says, those that cannot adapt. Also, the Edward Snowden reference further transitions him into today's, today's pop culture, I wonder if Edward Snowden was watching the episode from Russia. And finally, the significance of the Dashwood password. One thing is for sure in the last two episodes, Harold's character is all in this time, as seen in his actions and determination. Reese definitely sums it up at the end of Synecdoche 
as we see the beginning of one hell of a fight. As I posted on the POI podcast Facebook page earlier today, I give this episode two happy endings. Goodbye, Greer, and so long, Samaritan. Hopefully. Maybe. I also would give it five alive for our still-intact team of protagonists, including Bear. Greer's character became more evil with each progressive episode. I could hear him say, I'll get you my techie and your little ASI too. To quote Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, yeah. Man alive. No, it, it's... <sighs> yeah, He. I like what you said about Greer, how he has... We, we've seen him a little bit earlier on. You know, he was just kind of a... Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Little snippets here and there. And they have... Again, this is one of the uh, things I like about this group of writers is that they... They move things along little by little, you know, some people would like a little more action, a little more speeded up, a little more, you know, attention to the uh, myth arc. I liked the way they did this. You, you know, you, you see this guy once every so often, you're not sure what his agenda is, you're not sure, he seems to be a bad guy, you don't know exactly, and then little by little, you know, we, we see him, and he's now, uh, uh, you know, just about uh, every two or three episodes, he's he's back. So, yeah, I liked uh, the writing of this has been absolutely uh, fantastic all around. I concur. Well, thank you, Brian. Uh, let's move over to our next audio feedbacker. It's Judy in Worcester. Good afternoon, Doug and Daryl and the rest of the POI universe. This is Chuchy Judy calling in regarding Season 5, Episode 12.exe. As you know, the extension for Microsoft programs. Um, this one I rated nine Jane Austen-inspired passwords. Because I'm a diehard Jane Austen fan. I don't know if anybody else picked up on it. I know what Jane Austen fans would, that early in the episode, Shaw was, uh, had picked up a book and was kind of flipping through it. And it only showed the title, like, uh, maybe two, three seconds, enough to read, which was Sense and Sensibility. The two main characters of that story are Eleanor and Marianne Dashwood. Hence the password for executing the program for the virus. Cool coincidence, that. This one, uh, really good use of flashbacks on... In, in this episode, they provided insight into uh, for Finch as he's making his decision whether or not to execute the virus program. The first one, I liked that Harold and his partner, whom I can never remember his name, they did not go with the Department of Defense contracts, and but they were still very successful. And they don't have to worry about money anymore. But Harold was still dissatisfied. So, given his personality, as we'd gotten to know him, would he have progressed so far as to become a what is it, a potential disruptor? So Samaritan labels Team Machine and Fusco. It's really where I usually see it is around with the triangle around Fusco and potential disruptor. Uh, the second one, Fate of John. Ooh, that was good. And I could see that happening. I could really see that happening. The only thing is that we would have never gotten the man in the suit. 
And then, how would Doug sign off of all these podcasts? <laughs> Root. Root, uh, she would have found that God to worship because Samaritan did exist. And that's a really, really, really scary thought. Um, Shaw, she would have just continued on being the unemotional, get-the-job-done executioner, assassin, however you want to put it. Because, really, that's exactly how they portrayed her in that flashback. Um, Yeah, those were the main things, of course, of the flashbacks. Fusco had a great storyline this week. Uh, That was great foresight on his part to wear a vest, because when he shot him in the chest, I swear my heart skipped a beat or two. But I wonder what his decision was regarding the FBI agent. Hmm... I guess we'll have to wait and find out till next week. Uh, So, this is Chachi Judy signing off from a beautiful day here in Massachusetts. Uh, I'm at work, so I'm not exactly in Worcester. But still, would you please pronounce it right, Daryl? Have a good one. (laughs) I think I've already done that. I'll be happy to say thanks for calling in from Worcester, Judy, or near there. Judy... Judy, uh, we hope there's a man in a beard looking out for you. <laughs> I have yeah. already come up with or got the pieces together for my featured image for the podcast for next week. You know, the one that says, you know, person of interest podcast episode, yada, yada. And then the name of the episode review. Mm-hmm. I have I'm going to I pulled a picture from the pilot and a picture from next week's episode. I'm going to split them, you know, on there. To show you how far these guys have come, really. Mm, I mean, that's, that's cool. that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how what uh, you know what the what uh, how, you know what, how the what what Reese looked like and kind of the vacant look and he just was mm-hmm. not the man in the suit then, but yeah, now he is. Alrighty, um, Spencer. Well, first of all, I want to say Scott, you 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 on purpose mispronounced it Schenectady. Um, I know where you're talking about. My folks live in upstate New York. So, yeah, there you go. Connected in New York. Okay, anyway, just a little aside there. Spencer Adkins. And this is a guy who on Facebook has been telling us, I'm so glad I finally found this or somebody to talk to about this, uh, <laughs> this TV show, Man Alive. Yeah, like I said, it's the, you know, the best TV show most people have ever heard of. Yeah. Well, and the most popular, for crying out loud. You know, why can't we find somebody who knows about it? Anyway, so Spencer says, first, Thanks to the podcast, I came to find it late and apologize for running off at the keyboard <laughs> on the Facebook page, but I have been fired up knowing that there are others that really dig deeper into what's going on here with POI. Glad to have you, Spence. Can I call you Spence? Number two, or second, POI is about great storytelling. I have noticed many famous main themes that run through the stories. To me, there's a somewhat biblical tie-in here that Finch, the father, would be willing to sacrifice a child for the greater good of humanity. It's interesting that his vision of what's better for humanity is so vastly different from that of Greer's. The difference, Greer was willing to sacrifice himself for the betterment of Samaritan under the notion that he was convinced that Samaritan would make humanity better. And of course, uh, as this is me speaking as an aside. Um, you've got, you know, the whole flood thing going on that was a little more overt. But I like what you, uh, I like this one here. 
referring to Abraham taking Isaac mm-hmm. when God has told him to sacrifice his son on the top of the mountain. And now, if we continue with that, he does the whole thing, ties him to the uh, the, the the fire, the, the, the thing he's going to make for the fire, and the light is just about to just about to kill him, raises his hand with the knife, and an angel grabs his arm and mm-hmm. miraculously spares Isaac. So my question is, are we taking this uh, this little parallel all the way, and is the machine, since we saw or heard the monologue at the beginning of the season, the machine miraculously survives the virus? Hmm. Anyway. I, so I like that. I like how you're looking at that there. Spencer continues, as for inside jokes... I thought recent Shaw finding a device that was in the evidence locker marked Edward Snowden was a little silly, even though you had to look hard to see it. I wonder if he watches the show, and I wonder how the writers see him. I've wondered Hero. that, too. Yeah. yeah. yeah Hero or cool villain? shout out. We, never, we didn't even mention that. But yeah, the tag said Edward Snowden. <laughs> <laughs> so is he a hero or villain, or maybe a little both? But I digress. Can't avoid the storytelling device either of literally going into the belly of the beast as Finch goes into the NSA. I was, of course, a little stunned to see Greer at the helm of the NSA, but then again, I shouldn't be. So the great morality play of whether or not to kill off the machines is answered basically by Harold just before he enters the control room one final time, when he realizes that things would simply just continue to happen whether there was an AI or not. Basically, it's the chaos theory. A butterfly flaps its wings, and the wind current stirs up a hurricane somewhere on the other side of the world. Or maybe it doesn't. It all depends. Basically, we're left with the fact that life is going to go on, whether we, or an ASI, tries to control it. I think the POI writers did a masterful job of keeping the show filled with action, as always because, after all, it's an action show too, while also making us struggle with the notions. How much surveillance is too much surveillance? And if we aren't careful, could the AIs actually try to run things for the betterment of man? That's the crux. Mm -hmm. There are obviously some questions here. How will Fusco handle his situation? Now that the AIs are going offline, what happens to our heroes? And is this enough to fill 43 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Since allegedly Samaritan won't be around to tell its minions where Team Machine is, and there won't be a machine for a team. And what will Harold do, since he knows enough to simply whip up another machine tomorrow? After all, they're still selling PlayStation 4s. <laughs> or, maybe <laughs> or maybe he'll make a new one on Xbox One or iOS 10. Well, that'd be nice. Carry it around in your pocket, yeah. Still the best show on TV. This could easily just have been the final episode. Can't wait for next week. I'll rate this one 9 out of 10 bars of signal strength for everyone's earpieces always having good signal on POI. Thank you very much, Spence. Can I call you Spence? Thank you. <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you. Glad you found us, Spence. Better late than never. And uh, glad to have you as part of our, our team um, for the remainder of the show. <laughs> for the this week. was the penultimate episode, by the way. So that means there's only one episode. I'm sorry. Uh, wait, wait. The what? Penultimate. Penultimate. Something about pens. I don't know. Pencil? I don't know. Yeah. It's when you're, you're down to like, you've actually kept the pen long enough where it's running out of ink. Never happens, but I got you. Joanna wrote in. She said, Wait. "Hi, Daryl and Doug. I put Daryl first only because his name is the best." No, no, no. That's not. That's not what she said. What? Oh, I. You're right. I did. I misspoke. Only because his name comes first, alphabetical. Okay, whatever. We, we know the real reason. It's okay. 
All right. She says, I've been a long-time listener, but this is my first time submitting feedback. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. I listen Better to you. Better late than never. Yes. Yeah. I listen to you whenever I'm on the road by myself or doing the dishes. You guys make my chores much more bearable. Well, that is an achievement I think we should be proud of. Yay. Adding myself what we do. back. What we do. Um, I wanted to bring your attention to Amy Acker's recent interview with TV line, in which case, Oh, in case you haven't seen it, apparently Amy didn't do her voice work as the machine in a sound studio. She was actually lying down unseen in the back seat of the car. Um, Michael Emerson was, was writing in in order to make their conversation more authentic. Very interesting. Thanks again for all the work you do. Joanna from Toronto. And I'm sorry I stole your thunder when I mentioned that earlier. I hadn't pre-read your email, so I would have saved it for you. My apologies. Thank you for writing in. And what you heard in the episode was not the voice in the back seat. They, they were over. They were like you said. They they dubbed over. You know, they did yeah. it with a little. Uh, they made it sound a little more, I guess, AM radio-ish or a little, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they mentioned like in that scene where they're kind of down in the where Shaw and Reese are down in that boiler room area. You know, and they, they're going to, there's that green boiler they're going to jump into. And then they're like, hey, we need disguises. And they then they go get the camouflage guys. They said that in the commentary, that room was so, so noisy. They used it for location shooting only. Like, you could barely hear the actors. It was so noisy in there. <laughs> All of that was overdubbed. And that happens oh, a really? lot. It happens a lot. It's not possible to get good audio in all these places. So you'd be surprised. I listen to this stuff with headphones on, and there are times in every single episode where I can hear an overdub. But I doubt that those are the only spots that are... I'm, I'm sure there are tons of overdubs that I don't hear, but it's really cool that Amy was on set. I think that's fantastic. And one thing we didn't, uh, by skipping that, we uh, didn't mention the fact that Reese was a little claustrophobic and was afraid of uh, becoming the German kid in Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. <laughs> Loved he's, it. He's the one that got sucked up the chocolate pipe, if yes. I remember. I think that was the, the thing he was pointing to there. Okay, I've got a Maddie feedback for you. Nice. Maddie. And this is another first. Congratulations. Better late than never. Hello, Mr. Daryl. Hello, Mr. Doug. It's a little formal, but we'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm I'm fine, Maddie. What an exquisite podcast for my favorite show. I don't think we've ever been described as exquisite. Exquisite? I've never in my life, not even my mother referred to me as exquisite. (laughs) Thank you, Maddie. Wow. Um, I only wish I had found it sooner. Better late than never. Having not had the time to listen to more than your latest three episodes, I hope I'm following the correct etiquette and protocol in my feedback. Maddie, this is come as you are. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Point one. The most famous Dashwoods. Now, Maddie's going to get into a little more here uh, about the Dashwood thing. This is really good. Okay. The most famous Dashwoods are the sisters in Austin's Sense and Sensibility, of which one is pragmatic and the other romantic. So, in choosing Dashwood for the password, Finch could have been alluding to the ultimate decision he would have to make, to follow his heart and save the machine, his beloved creation, or follow his head and save humanity. Ooh, nice. Wow. Yes. If so, it would truly be a feat for the machine to predict this password. It would be one last beautiful moment of pride for Finch, the father, that his child knew him so well as to predict the poignant symbolic password that allowed him to release the virus that would kill her. Unless they find a way to save her in the last episode. 
She didn't have to reveal to him that she knew the password all along, but maybe she wanted to give him this gift. I have a second hypothesis, that Dashwood is Finch's actual last name, revealed at last. And you did not read this beforehand, did you, Derek? No, no, I didn't read any of them, or listen to any feedbacks for that matter. I didn't, yeah. So we had the same thought. That's that. right, we come here totally unprepared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Today I did. <laughs> I have enjoyed discovering each morsel of his backstory, and I'm sure that next week's finale, most revealing flashback, uh, next week's final most revealing flashback scenes will be glorious. Point two, I wondered, watching the scene in which the machine drives the car, why she couldn't have been driving on the day that Root sacrificed her life to save Finch. But perhaps the machine predicted that Root making that decision would be the tipping point for Finch, the thing... That caused the shift in his mindset toward doing whatever it takes to stop Samaritan. Mm. And I think we covered a little bit of that. It's a Tesla. It can do, like, you know, anything. <laughs> Point three. It was only mentioned... I'm sorry, let's try that again. It was once mentioned that only eight people originally knew about the machine. I can't remember if Claypool was one of them, nor even whether he's still alive. Besides Finch, and with the help of Wikipedia... I recall five others who knew of her, all of whom were dead. Ingram, Control, Special Counsel, Denton Weeks, and Alicia Corwin. Were the identities of the others ever revealed? Are they alive? Is there an archived episode of your podcast in which you discuss this? And will they resurface in the last episode? I can't help but think that they must. Um, at this point, um, Maddie, I, that I, I don't recognize, and I don't think we've talked about it either. Um, but I want to tell you, uh, the best place to look for this kind of information is not a Wikipedia, but the Pedia of Interest. I'm going to have a link to it in the show notes. There's a, a wonderful Wikipedia. I don't know who puts it all together, if it's one person or a group, but they really do a great job of summarizing some of the episodes, de- you know, covering all the characters, what episodes they were in, you know, all the backstories and that kind of thing. It is really good. And frankly, I have not used it as, as much as I should have, I think. So that, I said, a link will be in the show notes. But if you you search for Pedia of Interest, uh, it'll be there. And it's a great resource. And Maddie continues, finally, after the surreal but all-too-real events of this weekend, she's talking about the Orlando shooting, for those of you not in the United States, I can't help but wonder achingly if the machine would have had another team operating in Florida. Therefore, I rate this episode 10 out of 10 wishes that AR-15s would only be used by our heroes in POI. (laughs) Regards, Maddie. Yeah, yeah, Maddie. That was a that was a very tough uh, a, a tough thing to to have to not really experience. I mean, you know, most of us just saw it on TV and uh, and uh, had to be uh, had to live it that way. But it's you know, for those who had to live through it. Yeah, that's got to be probably some of the wishes that they have too. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, Maddie. Next is uh, Andrew Jeeves, who says hi, Daryl and Doug. Keep going, keep going. That's it. I mean, he says, or Doug and Daryl, depends on who's reading my feedback. I'm reading it. So he says, oh, hi, right. Daryl and Doug. All right, bye. I'm giving this episode nine Samaritan glitches. I managed to catch the last bit of the episode live as I was busy studying for an upcoming exam. Hope you did well on the exam. Yeah, I do too. This was an interesting episode in that for most of the episode, they were showing a la It's a Wonderful Life in that they showed how Team Machine's lives would have been if the machine did not exist. Shaw and Root working for Samaritan, Carter still alive, Fusco still a corrupt cop, Reese dead, Nathan would be alive, but Finch would have never met Grace and would have had 
and would have been the self-centered, get-rich-quick guy he alluded to in the pilot that he was prior to 9-11 occurring. I also liked Greer and Finch's tete-a-tete, Greer trying to convince Finch that Samaritan's goals are noble and that it was saddened when the machine was dead. When I heard that line, I said to myself, Bull crap. If that was the case, then why did it want to destroy the machine in the first place and try to kill Team Machine in the process? I'm with you. Uh, that was my interjection, in case you didn't know. Uh, back to Andrew. I was extremely happy that Greer finally kicked the bucket. Or did he? <laughs> the side story was interesting and in how Fusco got the upper hand on that Samaritan asset. Anyways, I have mixed feelings about the series finale. Sad that it's finally over. Happy that we'll finally get the, all the questions answered. <laughs> or will we? <laughs> will we? <laughs> <laughs> it could all have been just in purgatory the whole time. <laughs> Our That's not how Lost ended. <laughs> all right. Sorry. Until the finale, we must keep our motor running, headed on the highway. Oh, I got to, I got to, we got to, now I'm laughing too much. Until the finale, we must keep our motor running, head out on the highway, looking for adventure in whatever comes our way. Cheers, Andrew Jeeves. I hope I did your email justice, Andrew. Thank you for sending it in. And um, and be looking for Daryl next uh, fall on The Voice. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> I had to play that one last time. Okay. We got one more here from Marty McFly. Hello, McFly. He says, hi, Doug and Daryl. And that's how we wrote it. <laughs> Save the best for last, right? <laughs> yes, Marty McFly is the last feedback. Right. I am a bit behind on POI. I just finished watching The Day the World Went Away uh, and am giving it 15 finches past coming back to surface. Oh, wow. Catch up, dude. Um, we finally found out finches passed, but I'm curious. Wasn't the United States military police coming to arrest Finch in the flashback after hacking ARPANET, not the FBI? Ooh, good question. I would have thought a few military officials would have been there also to talk to Finch beside the old FBI agent, but I digress. I will be catching up with the rest of the episodes shortly. Regards and go buy popcorn for Marty McFly. I'll go and pop some in the microwave. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I hadn't even given that any thought. So, good point. Well, Marty, get in the DeLorean, fire up the flux capacitor, and get caught up to the present so that you can be uh, ready for next week's Serious finale. I feel like Andrew. I mean, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see it. But it's it's always, I mean, anytime we get a serious finale, we're grateful for it. We, I'm grateful that we got one with Lost. I'm grateful that we got one with Fringe. Uh, Revolution we didn't. Almost Human we didn't. Those yeah. are the podcasts I've done. Falling Skies. Let's not even talk about that monstrosity. Uh, <laughs> Under the Dome. Oh, you didn't really get one there either. Oh, but, no. And it was, well, but it was a mercy killing. It was a mercy killing. This one, I think, will be a very, very good series finale. Um, And I can't wait to see it. But that's right. At the end of the day, when it's done, we've lost our favorite show. So it's it's bittersweet. Yeah, yeah. What a hassle. 
All right. Well, once again, just as a reminder, next week, Thursday, not Wednesday, the time we're going to start is at 7 p.m. Eastern time. If you want to join us, we stream it over on our Facebook page, and our Facebook page is facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM. You can just search for groups, uh, person of interest groups, you'll find us. And so we'll, we'll stream it there live. You can join us there. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at POI Podcast GSM. Send in your feedback goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback or call us on the voice feedback line 304-837-2278. The deadline is going to be Thursday because we're pushing it back a day. Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And that'll give us time to process it, get it all ready for the podcast, which again starts at 7 o'clock Eastern time next Thursday. Mm, the final one. If you got any feedback you want to say, you know, your final words. I've actually gotten... Uh, we actually have some feedback already from somebody who wanted to, uh, you know, have it pushed off until the final episode. This is the goodbye episode and whatnot. So, um, yeah. So, we'll give, we're giving you some more time to, uh, you know, to write your love letters to everyone here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, what is next week? Tell us all about it, Doug. Okay, folks. Now, I have, I've bitten my tongue a couple of times, figuratively, during this uh, episode discussion. But now here comes the spoilers, because I'm going to let you know a little bit about not just what might be happening, but who might be happening. <laughs> All right. Next week, the episode title is Return Zero. Now, again, if you'd listen to our pre-season five uh, episode, the, I described what Return Zero is. Generally speaking, if there is an error in the program, it will return that error number, so that if you're writing a script, then when the program runs, you can check to see what it returned. And if it returns some number, then you can stop, or you can print some message, or you can do whatever. If the return is zero, that is a normal exit. Everything worked fine. Did somebody click the X in the upper right corner, or the little red dot, or they you know hit the quit button, whatever. So that's return zero, a normal exit of a program. So, what is normally exiting? Is it the virus that was just in this week's title, .exe? Is the machine or Samaritan or both doing a normal shutdown? I don't know. They got a virus. It doesn't sound like a normal shutdown. Is it the normal shutdown of the series? Who knows? Could be anything. Here's what the little uh, uh, press release said. Finch, Reese, Fusco, and Shaw. Embark on one last mission to prevent Samaritan from destroying the machine and cementing its hold over mankind. On the series finale of Person of Interest, Tuesday, June 21st, on the CBS television network. Wow. So it sounds like, you know, the AIs aren't aren't dead yet. That's right. They're just mostly dead. Yeah, it's just mostly dead. But Miracle Max can come along there. Now... Talk about serious some spoilers here. The cast. Who's in this? <laughs> John Reese, you know, Jim Caviezel is John Reese. Michael Emerson is Harold Finch. Kevin Chapman is Lionel Fusco. Sarah Shahi as Samin Shah. Amy Acker as the voice of Ruth. Now, standard stuff, we knew that. Here's the recurring cast. Senator Garrison, so he's back in this one. Um, you know, apparently Greer doesn't think too much of him. I thought he, I think he was gonna kick the bucket uh, or he was somebody was being was telling him to do that or maybe that was in the uh 
root that was in the root uh, uh, um, alternate universe, something like that. We'll get Jeff Blackwell back, so we'll get to see the end of his story. The painter guy. Yes. That's it for recurring cast. Notably missing are Greer and and Control. Hmm. That is to say, sounds like Greer's dead. Sounds like we're not going to get a resolution on screen for Control unless it's simply a, you know, somebody saying something about it. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And also, keep an eye on Rebecca Dark. She will be playing the dying lady. <laughs> so, maybe this is the bloodbath they were talking about. Who knows? This could be... Oh, this could be deadly. Who knows? Somebody's going to die. Might as well be Somebody's the Somebody's going to die. I don't know. <laughs> the dying lady. The dying lady. This will be written by executive producers Jonathan Nolan and Denise Tay. And if Denise Tay has oh, anything to do... Denise! <laughs> <laughs> if she has a hand in it, buddy, somebody's dying, and we know one. That's Rebecca right. Rebecca Dark, the dying lady. <sighs> Denise, it, they're like, it, ring, ring, ring. I know, I did this last time, you know. <laughs> hi. Hi, Denise. Jonah Nolan here. Hi, Jonah. <laughs> yeah, we need somebody to die. I'll be right over. <laughs> the name Denise Tate doesn't sound, doesn't say to me Southern Belle. I don't know. It's... <laughs> That's what my mother-in-law sounds like. And oh, she's, okay. I have a wonderful mother-in-law, so I'm sure Denise is a wonderful lady, and that's why I came up with that accent. I got you. Okay. Yeah. And almost as an aside here, it's directed by Chris Fisher, who has POI chops all over the place there. That's some big, they're like big, fat, hairy mutton chops. That's what he's got. <laughs> so they are going out with a bang last episode, next episode. Mm. Oh, people stand back. This is going to be... I'm gonna have to watch this again. Material. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm glad we have the extra day because I might end up watching the episode three times. I would have liked to have watched this one three times, and I didn't. I barely got the second watch in. But I'm glad you watched the commentary because that was really adding to the uh, the, 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 the to our commentary. Yeah, I like that. I like it when they do that too. It gives us you know their perspective, which is so valuable. So. All right. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode. We hope that you'll join us next week. But until then, I will say I'm Daryl. I'm going to go uh, turn my studio into a Faraday cage and then submit my resume to the NSA. <laughs> and I'm Doug. And I'm saying if your number comes up, you know, we really hope there's a man in a suit or a man in a beard or a cop with a recalibrated moral compass watching over you. 